are listening to The Addiction Files, where we discuss evidence-based treatment, clinical pearls and resources, while striving to destigmatize the treatment of addiction in our medical culture and save lives. We are The Addiction Ladies, Dr. Starlene Peterson and Paula Cook. All right, we are going to talk about um, tapering opiates, when to taper, when not to. And which this is, you know, I think an area of a lot of controversy and there's a lot of confusion. And I'm going to be honest, there's not a lot of data. There's only when I really researched this, there's maybe just a couple of studies and not a lot of current ones. I'm going to so you know, we'll talk about that and kind of what we do in practice and go from there. Sounds good. We'll just dive in. All right. So Paula, kind of just tell me, well, I mean, maybe I can tell you a little bit about what I found and you tell me what, what kind of research you, what you're aware of, but I'm going to just start with just, this comes straight from SAMHSA and this is tip 63, which is kind of the, the Bible for medications for opiate use disorder. But, you know, when it goes to duration of treatment with opiate use disorder, you know, it it's pretty kind of equivocal. It just says you know, patients can take medications for opiate use disorder on a shorter long-term basis. You know, but it says, however, when you discontinue opiate use medications, patients generally will return to illicit opiate use. Keeping that in mind, and the only study that they cite is with methadone. It says, you know, longitudinal studies show that most patients who try to stop methadone treatment use relapse during or after completing the taper. So it said, for example, in a large population-based retrospective study, only 13% of the patients who tapered from methadone had successful outcome. So meaning what their outcome data they're saying is, you know, no treatment reentry, death, or opiate-related hospitalization within 18 months after taper. You know, so I went and tried to research and see, okay, have there, how much yeah. have we looked at with buprenorphine naloxone? And Paula, there's really not a lot. All of them are short term. There's not data with patients that have been in treatment for a year, three years, five years or longer and outcome data from that. There's a, there's quite a few studies who have with six months or less. There's a lot at 28 days in these what we call detox, which those we, I'll be honest, neither one of us support. And the data is clear that certainly there's return to use with that. And that's very clear. But you get this request from patients frequently who come to me and they come to you too as well, Paula, that want to be tapered off for various reasons. And we'll go into that maybe later. And and you have to sometimes respect the autonomy of the patient. And so it, it, it begs that question, you know, to taper or not to taper. And how do you taper? And, the, and there's there's some information. I found one study on how you taper. What's, you know, is there any data supporting, the, you know, longer or shorter tapers? But yeah, no, this is true. I think, you know, the studies are, they're, they're going on right now. I think NIDA is conducting quite a few studies looking at duration of treatment you know, recommendations with buprenorphine, naloxone, and tapering methods. Uh, however, I think, you know, what we do know as general rules and principles is that short-term tapers 
of buprenorphine just to manage opioid withdrawal syndrome, such as seven day, even like three, four to seven day tapers. They're effective because buprenorphine is an effective medication in terms of helping people with their opioid withdrawal symptoms. However, they almost invariably lead to return to use of illicit or non-medical use of prescribed opioids. And if we look at uh, even patients who are on buprenorphine maintenance for six weeks, who then are taken off of their buprenorphine naloxone or buprenorphine, or who stop taking it themselves, return to use is almost always inevitable. So if you push it out then and look at duration of treatment to nine months, the rate of return mm -hmm. to use is much improved. And if you push it out to 12 months and longer, it's even more improved. So I think as a general principle, obviously we need to have a patient-centered approach, which you know patients often just really want to, quotation marks, not be on anything. Right? How often have you heard this? However, if you look at the data and you look at the risk of overdose, either non-fatal or fatal, with return to opioid use, there's such high mortality relating to return to use of opioids. Buprenorphine tapers should really be considered a very risky protocol and procedure. And should, they're not recommended. Maintenance with a medication like methadone or buprenorphine or transition to naltrexone is really standard of care. So we think that one, short-term tapers are dangerous. If anything, they may put patients at more risk in some ways. And this is somewhat counterintuitive. You know, a patient presents to the hospital, wants to get off of opioids. You help them, you feel like you're a good doc, and you put them on a... I just saw this this week, this one particular hospital in our community who is doing this as standard of care, and they're actually a detox unit, and they're doing subutex tapers for every single patient who comes in with opioid use disorder. They do a four-day subutex taper, right? And then they spit people out the door. This kind of approach puts people more at risk yeah. for dying from their opiate use than people who are just chronically using their opiates because you reduce their tolerance. And they come out of the hospital and they may return to using, as is inevitable for a lot of people due to triggers and cues and environment, and they resume use at the same dose level that they were previous to their taper, and they overdose. So that's kind of the first general principle that I abide by based on what we know. And the second principle is longer, better. That's what SAMHSA has kind of decided, and that's what it guides both for methadone and buprenorphine. There might be a sweet spot is what they're finding. So it might be that if you capture people for maintenance treatment with, a, with an opioid agonist type drug, whether it's buprenorphine or methadone, maybe somewhere between the one to three year mark is the most efficacious in terms of negative urine drug screens. And then for some weird phenomenon after that, you might just see persistent or a, an increase in urine drug screens, right? Which is interesting. And maybe it's just the population who continue to struggle are then being examined in that longer time frame, and therefore they continue to have more positive urines. So maybe it's just the sample that we're then looking at who, who retain in treatment from three years onward, or maybe there's some other factors. But we do know that the best outcomes come from prolonged treatment. That's more than just a number, right, Darlene? I mean, we always say to the patient, 
what you want to do in terms of deciding when to taper yes. is have your risk of returning to use be really zero. So what does that mean? What does that what does your life need to look like in order for that percentage to exist, right? It can't be 1% or 5% or 20% or 93%, which is what it is without any treatment at all. What is it going to take for you to get to zero? And how can your team help you get there? And that might be your your primary support system, your therapist, your recovery treatment program, your doctor, etc. And of course, the patient themselves at the center of that after meeting functional goals in their life, getting their job back, getting their kids back, feeling like they're not driven by cravings and urges to cue, that's when we should taper them. And then, of course, we have to listen to what they want as well. But in terms of when to taper, I, I think that's kind of, those are the general principles that I go by. And of course, honoring the desire to taper, because what we see really frequently, and I know you see this all the time, a lot of patients don't want to be on this medication, whether it's buprenorphine or methadone long-term, and they want to just have a short stab at it. They want to feel better. And a lot of times they feel remarkably better on these medications, right? And so they think, well, I'm just going to get off. They don't have adequate support from their provider in terms of tapering. They're not tapered appropriately and given good clinical advice. And they stop taking buprenorphine at a dose that's way too high. And the same thing with methadone, they drop off of methadone before tapering all the way down. And invariably, they suffer uh, withdrawal, both physical and emotional. And that puts them at risk for return to use, maybe not initially even, but down the road. No, I think that is so important because I and I wonder if this is why we have these recommendations out there to not taper and it fails is because so many patients are not supported in their desire to taper. I think that's such a key point, Paula, is when you have and I have patients, so many that come in here, and it's a little bit frustrating. I think until recently, we've had such of the split between these abstinence-based treatment programs and then providers such as ourselves where we're trying to provide this, you know, medication for opioid use disorder. And so these patients are, are almost being told two different stories that, you're not sober because you're taking a medication. So they're going, trying to get help from wherever source they can, and they should be, but then they're being told that I'm not, I'm not getting better because I'm taking this medication. Well, they have their doctor saying, yes, you are, and you're doing great. But then they go to group or they go to their therapist who's told, no, you're not get off that medication. It's a very difficult thing for them. And so I, I always do ask that question. What's your motivation to why you're wanting to taper first and trying to trying to tease that out and then finding out what, you know, because that also helps them to be successful. Right. And then the next is hoping that I can get some kind of reconciliation there for them so that they're not they're they're supported in this process too so they can be successful because i think that's such that's such a good point yes absolutely i think it's hopefully we are doing better as a treatment community in general in allowing patients we need to do whatever works for the patient right that we are giving them every option possible yes Absolutely. And as far as tapering, so you have a patient who comes in and let's say they are 
two and a half years into their treatment and they have been very stable. They, you know, and I usually, and this is usually what I propose to my patients. We will, you know, when they come in and they just tell me, I don't want to be on this forever. That's not my goal. And I want to taper. Then I tell them we will discuss taper when you have been stable, which means that we have not had positive urine drug screens that your counselor agrees as well. And we feel like your support system is there and we, we have stable, we've had what, what I ideally hope for is six to 12 months or longer of good stability, which means, you know, we're not going through a divorce, your life, your work has been stable. We've got some good coping skills in place. So I go through all that criteria with them that we're not going through any major life crises and things are going well for them. What kind of things do you kind of, do you have any set criteria, things that you kind of talk about? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think the same kind of thing. We I look for functional, obviously patient interest. So that's part of their treatment goals yes. and desires that they want to taper off, that they have the support of people in their life. And then I totally agree with you that there's no major change that's imminent, like a change in life partner, change in job, change in housing, or a major stressor. Even the holidays, I used to always, I tell patients like, let's not start tapering you off the week before Christmas. And haven't you learned, like, I also just, it's an interesting conversation, but I've always just talked with patients, what is your most difficult time of year? Not even just holidays, but some patients are like, I always relapse in the summer. I mean, this may go sometimes with your co-occurring mood disorder patients, you know, where spring and summer may be their, you know, manic or hypomanic period of times, but they just say, I always struggle. Well, that's not a great time, right? To start a taper, you know, or be tapering. Yeah. So I discuss that. I make sure that I'm aware of these are maybe more difficult times for them so that we're not right in the middle or starting a taper at that time. And yeah, so I just find a good time there. And then I do, I, I, you know, I read one paper that said there, and this was old as maybe about 10 years ago that said, really, they didn't see a difference between slow or rapid tapers. But my experience has kind of really been the opposite. I taper patients very slowly in general and find that they just do better. And and so we typically, I, I'm doing about two milligrams per month and and that's it. And we're going pretty slow. And then when they get sometimes at the lower doses, we're doing one milligram. Some patients will tolerate more when they're at the sometimes the higher doses, you can go four milligrams, you know, sometimes for like 16 to 12, they can tolerate pretty easily. What's your experience, Paula? Yes. No, I totally agree with you on that. All of that you said, there's also a paper I found on PubMed from 2016. So it's a little bit more recent. It's a Marsh et al. looked at duration of taper, um, two groups, the N for each group was 25 and 28 respectively. So not a huge sample size, but they looked at uh, around 56 days as even more um, successful. And I, I totally agree. I find that patients tolerate reducing their dose very well initially if they're at the higher doses, so 16 to 12, and then even 12 to 8. So like you said, maybe going down a milligram per week um, or even two milligrams per week initially, but depending on how long they've been on it. But I agree with your approach. And then 
after patients are at eight milligrams and they've they're feeling normal and stable at eight milligrams, we slow things down and we go we go really slowly and see how they do. And uh, the two principles that I go by, and this is all clinical, clinical, I haven't seen any official recommendations for this, is to taper all the way down to 0, 0.0, excuse me, to 0 0.25 milligrams before you discontinue. So that's the one thing. So don't just assume that because two milligrams is the lowest dose that buprenorphine comes in, that that should be your endpoint. But to go all the way down to pretty much as low a dose as you can muster. And the other thing would be to use an, and I don't know, I think everyone's different, but I personally use an yeah. alternate day method where I, I think we've been doing it very close. And, and patients do so well. How I do it is, to, for example, how to get from eight milligrams to six. I do eight milligrams one day, six milligrams the next day, all week. And then the following week, six milligrams every day. Uh, and then the following week, I'd do six milligrams and four on alternating days. And then the following week, four milligrams every day. And I know you do the same thing. And then once you get below four milligrams, I do it by one milligram. So four milligrams one day, three milligrams the next, et cetera. Four milligrams one day, three milligrams the next, alternating, and then three milligrams daily for a week, and then two milligrams and three milligrams alternating, et cetera, all the way down, all the way down to 0.25. So at some point we're doing 0 0.5 and 0.25 alternating days until we do 0.25 every day for a week. And then I do 0.25 and nothing alternating days. And then I stop. And I always leave people with at least two films or, or tablets of buprenorphine naloxone to have and keep in their locked lockbox after they finish their taper for, for uh, an acute crisis or day where they have extreme cravings um, just so that they can use that instead of return to opiate use. So I don't know. No, how mine's you, very how do you similar. Do that like, yeah, when I get down to eight milligrams, then I haven't, I've done the alternating when I've usually gotten below two. I haven't started at eight, but no, that's very, but I just do those sequential decreasing. Yes. And, and I'm usually either two, I'm either one to two milligram decreases from eight and below or four and below. And it just depends on sometimes really the patient. It's very interesting. Some people can do, can go very easily down and others just need a little bit longer, you know, but, and, and I tell them when you have patients who their biggest fear, and this is almost across the board and it's what's, what's your biggest fear about tapering? And it's, withdrawal and you need to respect that from the patient and so we need to do what we can to help them through that part and monitor i just make sure i tell them you know as we're tapering we might monitor you a little bit more frequently you've only been coming in monthly if you start to have withdrawal symptoms i'm going to have you come back in and we're going to assess and just see is maybe adding an adjunctive medicine right now going to help you because you'll be probably fine on this new dose and you just we you know we add a little bit of clonidine and you'll you're going to be fine and so we do that and that helps them stabilize on that dose and if we need to stay on this new dose for 2 months let you stabilize then you're okay. that's okay so we also just make sure that they they need to know like 
All right. We, if we taper down yes, to four milligrams and you're, and you need to stay there for two months or you have a crisis in your life, that's going to be okay. And we'll, if we need to stay there for six months while you get through this crisis, that's okay too. So it's just, it's just having those discussions. It doesn't mean because we started a taper that you're going to continue no matter what they need to know that too. And, and so those things need to happen. Those discussions need to happen. Then I think a lot of patients who really, really want to taper and don't because of those fears. And so just, you just have to have those discussions with them that, Hey, this is okay. And even if you taper down to just a lower dose that they're more comfortable with, that they're not having side effects anymore and they get down to two milligrams and then they're happy. I, you know, then that's okay too. (laughs) That's a win. (laughs) So we're okay. (laughs) So those are things where that, You know, sometimes we have to just redefine our goals as well and make sure that that's working for them. And, and it's okay. You know, so I just tell them we, we taper, we hold where you're at and we resume when you're in a good place. Yes, absolutely. And I, I've had a lot of folks who've, um, who are presenting for treatment or maybe they're kind of necessitating treatment. So they're, they're admitted to the hospital with an acute infection, um, a serious infection, like endocarditis or something like that. And, uh, you know, they they have to be on a medication or they're just going to be in withdrawal. Um, and they're like, I don't want to be on, you know, suboxone or buprenorphine, naloxone. I had such a hard time getting off of it in the past. And you, you try and coach and reassure them that, that maybe this time they'll be in the hands of someone who can help them taper off a little bit more carefully. And if, if you are the provider and you don't feel you have the skills or the experience to do that, reach out to people in your community who have a little bit of experience with this medication and they can guide you and help you while you take care of this patient. Um, it's, it's not that tricky once you do it. And like Darlene is saying, you can kind of see how the patient tolerates it. Everyone's different. Some people really have a difficult time and some people do really great. And this model is not, it's not, it's not a guideline. It's not a published guideline, but these different methods can be used. I mean, there's another method method that's really off label, but I've had colleagues who've done this method and I've done it in the past where you taper them down kind of slowly to two milligrams and then you switch them to like a butrans patch. Um, that's another method that I've used in the past. I don't use it so much anymore, but that that's another option, right? Another option that I'm now seeing um, being used and I talking to patients about it is now that we have these long acting injectable buprenorphine options that it, it kind of is a natural, it's a natural taper. So if folks are stable on 100 milligrams of sublocade, which is the long acting injectable buprenorphine that is typically um, re-injected every four weeks. They come in for an injection and you just counsel them, okay, well, this will be your last injection. Let's just monitor and see how you feel at weeks five, six, seven, and eight without re-injection. And the body just slowly itself tapers down after getting that injection. And that, that seems to actually be pretty effective for a lot of people. So there, there are more ways than one to, to uh, manage buprenorphine, getting off of buprenorphine. Methadone is another whole story, but unless you work for a methadone clinic as the provider, that we don't need to go into that. So um, I think you've hit on the strong points in which is go, you can go a little bit more aggressively at the beginning. You want to really slow down as you get to those lower doses. And that has to do with 
the affinity for buprenorphine at the mu opioid receptor, it has very high affinity in general, but especially at lower doses and um, high activity, high affinity at very low doses. And it's very potent as well. So two milligrams of buprenorphine is equivalent to, you know, about 40 to 60 morphine equivalents. So you wouldn't recommend someone just stop 60 milligrams morphine equivalent without expecting any withdrawal, especially folks who have a history of opioid use disorder. So you do need to continue that taper. And then if people don't feel stable, something comes up, just halt the taper and just hold steady until they feel like they can resume. Um, and then what about when you're done completely with the taper? What, what, what kind of treatment approaches do you take at that point? I offer every single patient naltrexone. So I prefer the depot so branded Vivitrol. And if that's not something that the patient's interested, then we give them all the oral naltrexone. And I really encourage them. Most of these patients are also family medicine patients of mine. So I'm still following them for all their primary care needs. But I, I encourage still frequent follow-up. So I want to see them at least monthly for a few more visits. And then part of reason why a lot of them want to discontinue, you know, um, treatment with Suboxone yeah. is because they don't like the monthly follow-up. It's cost. It's not convenient. Yeah, yeah, we can talk so about that. So you're trying yeah. to honor that for them as well. So we then usually go to quarterly follow-up. So I try to follow them at least quarterly for a year, but I'm going to be honest, a lot of yes. them still will then, it they decrease out by patient choice. But many of them, you know, I'm still seeing for their primary care and they do great, but the naltrexone, I will, my goal, I try to encourage that indefinitely, but I, you know, just if I had to give you a percentage, I'm going to say probably only if, if I can get them at least to two years, you know, that's good, but that's maybe only about 50%. We'll continue that. I think naltrexone, yes, that's another yes. discussion for another time, but that one, it, it's its own worst enemy because it works mm. very, very well but they, f you feel like you're not on medicine. And so they think I don't need this, but it is a good time. I just make sure that that time that they do have a good, I really like your idea. I haven't done that. I don't, you know, I haven't prescribed to make sure that they have those two safety doses of buprenorphine. I think that's a fantastic idea, but I do, I do try and make sure that they do have an overdose kit and an naloxone overdose kit. And, you know, so you just try to make sure they have that. And then I try to just make sure that I have established that we are always here no matter what. You, you know, you make that, that I need you to come. If something happens, I need you to come back for treatment. And so I, I think there's so, I get so many new patients to my clinic that have been treated elsewhere. And there's so much shame and fear that they won't go back to their provider and I think that's key is you want to make sure that they know that they can return for treatment. Always, always. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's perfect. I, I agree. I try and transition people to naltrexone. You want to have at least 10 days after last buprenorphine dose before starting naltrexone. Injectable is preferable to oral, but it's patient choice. And then I really encourage people, really, really encourage people if they're not already to get involved 
with the 12-step program. And not everybody likes 12-step program programming. Maybe something else works better for them, like in the rooms or Dharma recovery or smart recovery, life ring. Maybe they have their own version of recovery programming. But, you know, recovery really, as we know, addiction is chronic disease and it needs long-term support. And the evidence lies with 12-step programming be having the best outcome, kind of like Weight Watchers has the best outcome for long-term weight loss. And um, so I tell people, you know, it's a good community. You always have accountability and it's service-oriented. So once you're, once people are at this point where they're stable and sober, it's now time to, for a lot of people, time to look to see what they can give back. And this can be very healing and transformative for people in recovery from addiction is um, looking at at a time where they can really do something for, for others, especially those in their community. And I try and stay in touch with them just like you do, either for primary care or just for regular addiction check-ins. And um, I think this is pretty effective. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think you have good, very good points. I love it. I love the idea of just encouraging them to be involved and get out there because I think that's a way to just get, keep them engaged. So I love that idea. What else? Have we covered it? I think so. I think I, I like that. I think I really get a lot of questions about tapering. And I think this is a good primer. If you have questions, you can look at, to look at tip 63. You could always consult the opioid response network. If you need a mentor, if you um, need someone that you to talk to one-on-one, -on -one. Uh, and then our emails are on the website and uh, you can contact us too. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's a wrap. Thank you. Until next time. Hey, check us out at theaddictionfiles.com or email us at theaddictionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Ricky Valides for use of his song, Awake. Check him out at rickyvalides.com. purposes only. Hosts and guests are not responsible for any harm caused by information obtained from the source. As each person is unique, you are advised to seek the advice of your own healthcare professional to treat any medical conditions you may be having. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the addiction files and not of our respective employers.